is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. Hello, and welcome back to Diagnosis Glaucoma. We have a very special episode on artificial intelligence and how it can be used in the management of glaucoma. And to talk about our special topic, we have a very special guest. He is an expert in this area, and his name is Dr. Jithin Johanan. Dr. Johanan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So I am a uh, fellowship-trained glaucoma specialist, and I grew up in uh, New York, a little bit outside of New York City, and then uh, went to my undergrad at NYU and medical school at Johns Hopkins after that. And uh, after medical school, I stayed on at Johns Hopkins for my residency and then did my fellowship training in glaucoma at the University of Toronto. And uh, since then, I've come back as a faculty member at Hopkins. And uh, now I see patients and do surgeries. And my clinical and surgical practice focuses on more newer surgeries that are minimally invasive to treat glaucoma patients. And my research focus is actually using artificial intelligence techniques to try and improve patient care in glaucoma. And we'll get more into that later in the podcast. So artificial intelligence sounds like something out of space. Can you tell us what that means with regards to medical care and glaucoma specifically? Sure. So I, mean, I think artificial intelligence in many regards is all of the rage now, but it's been around for quite a while. And essentially, the definition of artificial intelligence is teaching computers how to make decisions the way that humans do. So I think in, in terms of medical care, what we're using artificial intelligence for is to aid our decision-making as clinicians uh, to try to detect glaucoma earlier and also to identify high-risk patients earlier in the disease course. So our work is not meant to replace clinicians, but to help them make better clinical decisions. I see. And... Is this for all stages of glaucoma or just like severe or early stages? It's for all stages of glaucoma. And we basically want to try to risk stratify patients, so separate high-risk patients from low-risk patients so that we can, you know, tailor our treatment to these different stages of glaucoma. Gotcha. And there's also a term I've heard, machine learning. Can you tell us how machine learning relates to this topic? Sure. So I think artificial intelligence is the umbrella term. So artificial intelligence, as I mentioned before, is essentially teaching a computer to make decisions that a human might make. And machine learning is a subcategory of artificial intelligence. So if you think of artificial intelligence as the big circle, there's a little smaller circle within that that's machine learning. And what machine learning does is it teaches computers to make decisions without explicit programming. So in artificial intelligence, you can tell a computer to do something by explicitly saying, hey, if you see you know, this command in the code, then do this function. But in machine learning, you can sort of teach the computer how to make decisions by itself by utilizing lots and lots of data. Within machine learning, there's another subfield called deep learning, And deep learning is a field of machine learning that utilizes models that are very, very big 
and have many, many parameters. And that's what's used in a lot of image recognition and artificial intelligence-based decision-making these days. You mentioned that AI, artificial intelligence, would not replace clinicians. It would just help us. So how do you envision both of the entities working together? You mean clinicians and artificial intelligence? Right, yeah. How do we use that together? Sure, sure. So this will get into some of the work that's been done in glaucoma already. So a lot of the work that's been done specifically in glaucoma is looking at an image. So glaucoma tends to affect the optic nerve. And we have, you know, data sets that have lots and lots of images of optic nerves. And so a clinician, you know, has gone through that data set of optic nerve images and created a label whether that patient has glaucoma or doesn't have glaucoma. And we can train an artificial intelligence algorithm to recognize glaucoma from no glaucoma based on the optic nerve image. And, you know, that's something that we as clinicians have been able to do for, you know, many, many years. So it's not anything groundbreaking. So in in essence, an algorithm like that, that can look at a picture of the nerve and tell you whether that nerve has glaucoma or doesn't have glaucoma is not that useful to us as glaucoma clinicians, because we have the ability to do that already. I think where the value comes is, are we able to, you know, using some early data, like if we have a patient's information from early in their glaucoma disease course, um, when they come in for their first visit, we have an image of their optic nerve, which we call an OCT. We have a test of their visual function, which is called the visual field. And we also have things that we measure in the clinic, like their interocular pressure and certain other values that we think are important uh, to the progression of glaucoma. So if we combine all this information that we get at the early visit with a patient into an artificial intelligence model, are we able to predict those patients that will get worse very quickly? And if we're able to do that, then that sort of information would be very useful for the clinician because as clinicians, if we know that a patient is high risk based on their first visit, we will be able to monitor that patient much more closely. We may be you know, willing to do surgery earlier in the disease course to prevent vision loss. So I think if we have a system that's integrated in our clinical information software that we already have that gives us a risk score based on a patient's early data of whether that patient is at high risk of getting worse, that will be very useful for us to sort of follow our patients over time and make appropriate clinical decisions. It seems like this technology would actually help to eliminate some errors or maybe some misdiagnoses? Correct. I think that, you know, there are two sides to it. So if you have a system that can accurately predict future disease course, then, you know, one, we can follow the patients that are high risk more closely and maybe do surgery on them earlier. But then there's going to be the other 90% of patients with glaucoma that aren't really high risk. And those patients, we can sort of safely follow less aggressively. You know, we wouldn't want to do surgery as early in those types of patients. So in a way, it could help with that misutilization of medical resources and misdiagnoses, the wrong like decision to have surgery. So it could be extremely helpful in that regard as well. And how and when do you anticipate this actually coming into practice? So yeah, it's not that easy to implement these algorithms into clinical you know, systems that we're utilizing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, right now, our research group is in the process of showing 
that you know we can predict future disease course with pretty good accuracy. And I would say, but when we talk about accuracy, there are various metrics that that we can use. But I, like for the general audience, I would say medium, fair to medium accuracy using information that we get at the first visit that a patient comes in. So their visual field, their optic nerve image or OCT, and you know their their pressure measurements and, and a couple of other clinical values. We're able to get pretty good accuracy. What we're doing right now is we're trying to create a bigger data set that uses data not just from Johns Hopkins, but from multiple different institutions, so five to six different academic centers, to make our models better. So a lot of machine learning and AI work requires lots and lots of data. And so, you know, at Wilmer, we probably have about 5,000 eyes that have the type of data that we need. But when we combine that data set with data from five or six different institutions, we might triple or quadruple the amount of data that we have to train our algorithms. And that makes algorithms much more accurate. So compared to having medium success, we might have much higher success if we, if we train the algorithms with much more data. And then once we're satisfied at the performance of these algorithms at predicting future disease course, you know, we'd have to implement that into a format that clinicians can get in the clinic. So, so we have certain tools that we use in clinic, like Epic is our EMR software, and we have Forum for looking at images. We'd want to figure out a way to input that risk score. So our algorithms will calculate our risk score. And that risk score, we want that to be easily accessible to the clinicians. And I think the best way to do that is to incorporate that into the information systems that we already have. And that will mean working with the device manufacturers and the clinical information software companies to try to input these risk scores. And when that's done, then I think we'll have a usable product that probably will take another five years, if I had to guess. Okay, so we're looking at sometime maybe 2026 or so. Yeah, if all works out. Okay, fingers crossed. And I have to ask you a hard question. I always ask a few hard questions. So, you know, there are some patients who are kind of like in the outliers, like their eyes are not the typical eyes. And when we look at some of the imaging, like you mentioned the OCT, the optic nerve imaging, you know, the data that we collect from that is generalized towards a certain population. So as an example, some people have a very long eye, or maybe they're from certain racial groups. And so some of the data that we look at on imaging is not really standardized towards those types of groups. So will AI and machine learning, will it take the outlier type patients into account? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So oftentimes, if you have an AI model that's trained with a very narrow range of data. So in this case, you know, people with, let's just say, typical open angle glaucoma that aren't really nearsighted or really farsighted, and you take that AI model and then you try to apply the results of that model to, you know, a population of patients that are unlike what that model was trained on originally, then the model is going to perform very poorly because it's never seen those types of eyes before when it was doing its initial learning. And so there are a couple of ways to, you know, combat that problem. One is to, when you train the model, actually include eyes that are, that are a little bit different in that regard. So really, you know, nearsighted eyes, really farsighted eyes, that might help improve the model results. 
and you know, working with various institutions to try to create a very big data set that contains all sorts of types of glaucoma, all sorts of types of eyes, will help the models perform better. Even then, there might be certain situations where the model doesn't perform very well. And I think one of the important things that we as researchers involved in this space do is we we need to look at where our model is performing well and where it's performing poorly. So when we get the results of the model performance, we can sort of subdivide those results, those performance results into different groups of eyes. So eyes with mild glaucoma, moderate glaucoma, severe glaucoma. And that's part of our research plan as well to look at, you know, which specific areas or which specific type of eyes does our model perform poorly and where does it perform well. And then if that's the case, if there are certain subgroups where it's not performing very well, we can put that as a disclaimer in whatever you know software product is ultimately developed from these data. Okay. And with regards to your specific research, what exactly are you doing in this area? So I actually, you know, we work with a team of computer scientists at Johns Hopkins and my job is essentially to manage the team. And we have a lot of really smart people, you know, working on that team, several students that are, you know, undergraduates or postgraduate students that are interested in this topic. And so my specific role is to, you know, think about the important questions that need to be answered, and then sort of design the analysis plan to answer those questions. And then the students and my research associates, they, you know, do the data cleaning and the analyses. And then sort of we talk about the results and then we sort of iterate and try to make our algorithms better. And then, you know, the other important side of this is interfacing with our IT team to get data and to, you know, put that into our system so that our team can use it. And then the other component is collaborating across institutions with other researchers that are doing similar work to try to create this larger data set that has the potential to make our algorithms more accurate. What are some of the downsides of artificial intelligence or what are some of the barriers that you're encountering as you do this work? Yeah, so I think that, you know, one of the bigger barriers is the availability of high quality data. So like I mentioned, we have about 5,000 eyes in our data set, but oftentimes that's not enough to get your models performing really well. So to address that downside, we can work with multiple institutions. A second downside is, you know, is this going to make clinicians lazy in some way? Like, are we just creating an algorithm that will do our work for us? And I don't think that's the case. I think that if we do find that an algorithm is really good at predicting which patients will do poorly over time, we can look at the features or the you know parts of the patient's eye that the algorithm is looking at to figure out which patients are going to do poorly and which patients will be stable over time. And that might actually give us more insights into how glaucoma develops and worsens over time. So I think it will actually add value rather than making us lazy. And the third thing that you already mentioned is, you know, you have to be very careful in terms of applying your algorithm to different groups of patients. So if your algorithm was trained on one type of patient, you can't, you know, necessarily apply that algorithm to a different patient type. And so training on a wide variety of patients is often most helpful. 
You mentioned that this work is being done at a few different institutions. Are they all in the United States? Is there any plan for this to be like a global project? Yeah, so right now our collaboration is all within the U.S., partially because our imaging software and clinical information systems in the U.S. tend to be similar between large academic centers, so it's just easier to extract and quantify the data. But yeah, in the future, it would be nice to have an international collaboration, and we haven't quite gotten to that stage yet. And is there anything else that you can tell us about this work that I haven't already asked or we haven't discussed yet? No, I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered most of the key questions here. Your work is very exciting. Thank you very much for what you're doing. And I know that you're going to make glaucoma care more efficient and more effective. And I know that there are people out there who want to support your work. So how can they do that? Sure. So thanks for having me on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. If people want to support this research, they can reach out to my development officer. Her name is Kathy Anglemeyer. Her phone number is 443-253-7292. And her email address is kanglemeyer, A-N-G-L-E-M-Y-E-R, at jhu.edu. Thank you again, Dr. Johannan. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be with you then next time. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops. 